Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry designed for you to fail. This month, we are teaming up with igotout.org, a consortium of cult survivors supporting the I Got Out movement of activism and education to help shine light on the commercial cults more commonly known as multi-level marketing. Throughout the month of November, follow along with us on social media as we share MLM statistics, cult education, survivor stories, and ways that you can join in on the movement. Visit igotout.org to share your MLM experience and share your I Got Out selfie using the hashtags I Got Out and I Got Out of an MLM on social media. Freedom of thought is a universal human right. Hey, a little bit of housekeeping before we start the show. Like you just heard, November is MLM Awareness Month. We have teamed up with my friends at igotout.org to help spread awareness this month about commercial cults or multi-level marketing. We are teaming up with all kinds of amazing educators and survivors this month to bring you stories about the insidious culty nature of multi-level marketing. I'm so excited. I've been talking to so many survivors and so many of you have reached out to me on the calls to action I put on TikTok and Instagram about looking for people who had really culty experiences in MLM. So I'm really excited to bring all of those stories to you this November. We have uh, probably at least six episodes, so I'm really excited about that. Really want to share the education behind it. Um, And a lot of you will reach out to me sometimes and you'll say, hey, I was listening to this episode and I didn't understand what this meant or, you know, like I wasn't in this MLM, so I don't understand what that means. And uh, when I was looking at all the different interviews I had, I wasn't sure in which order to put them in. Um, And I made the executive decision to start off the month with Amanda Montel. Um, Her and I had a really awesome discussion about her book, Cultish, which you're about to hear. We go into her chapter about boss babes. We talk about uh, the red flags that you can listen for. And we even break down a couple of culty screenshots that maybe you've seen before uh, and give you the tools that... You know, we just want to give you guys the tools so that you don't make the same mistakes. Um, And so I'm really excited. If you guys have any culty stories about MLM, you can always send them in in a 60 second voice memo. If you need more time, you can always reach out to me as well. I definitely want to do another mashup of stories, um, but I would really like those stories to come from you guys. Please, please, please reach out to me if even if you just have a tiny little story. I want to do a mashup episode like we did last month about the horror stories, but I want to do them about cult stories. So November is all about cults and um, you guys can send me a little 60 second voice memo. You can find that on my link tree or you can reach out to me and say, hey, I've got like a 10 minute story I want to tell you that works too. Or you can email me. I've already gotten a couple anonymous email submissions of people that have culty stories that would like me to read them for them. So that works too. I do want to tell you guys that we are making a difference especially after my interview on a little bit culty. We've had a lot of people reach out and a lot of people start listening to this podcast and a lot of people finding group therapy here. So I welcome you guys. I'm so happy to have you. Um, Bear with us as we, you know, we're still noobs here. (laughs) It's so wonderful to see the ripple effect of the difference that we're making. And um, it's, it's it's all because of you guys. And I'm just, I'm so thankful for everything. Um, thank you for downloading the podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for telling your friends. 
Thank you for finding me on TikTok and following me on Instagram and joining in on the conversation. They're really, really, really important conversations that we need to be having. And I am so excited that we're having them. So I'm going to stop yammering on. You guys can listen to me talk aimlessly for hours. I know you tell me all the time, but Amanda and my conversation is way more interesting than this. So without further ado, welcome to another episode of Life After MLM. I am so excited today because we have writer and language scholar, Amanda Montel. Hi. Hi, thank you. I feel like you read that as though you were narrating maybe a romance novel and I'm into it. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So you are, uh, in layman's terms, a linguist, which means that you are- I wouldn't even call that a layman's term. That's a fancy (laughs) ass term. But yes, yes, my background is in linguistics and that's what I write about for general audiences. I love it. I'm such a word nerd. I told you that too. And you called me loquacious and I loved it. <laughs> I was like, yes, I am. Um, so you wrote the book Word Slut, but what we're really going to dive into right now is the book that you just wrote that came out called Cultish, which is the language of fanaticism. And I friggin' loved it. I devoured this book on the way to and from New York on the airplane. Like I can't even tell you I literally finished it in like 10 hours, like just devoured it. I could not put it down. It was amazing. I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so for everybody listening, if you have not read it and it's popped up, it's even popped up in um, the life after MLM group that we have on Facebook. Someone posted the other day, they're like, has anyone read this book? And I'm like, she's coming on the podcast this week. So I'm so excited. Um, I, it is so unbelievably rainbow highlighted, just like my Ponzi-nomics. So wonderful. If you guys are interested in cults which you definitely are if you're listening to this this book is amazing you go through so many different normal everyday things that use cultish language like as just a normal everyday practice and it to me it's wild yeah well the idea for the book was to talk about not just notorious classic cults like jonestown and scientology and heaven's gate but to talk about this wide spectrum of cultish groups, including spaces we might not naturally think of as cults, including cult fitness studios like SoulCycle and CrossFit, including social media spaces, spiritual influencers, and then of course, multi-level marketing communities. So as the book progresses, I go from talking about, you know, the most destructive infamous cults you can think of creeping along this wide continuum of communities toward groups that we're all a member of. Yeah. And I loved that. And there are some people that were like, I just want to skip to the boss babe chapter. And I'm letting you know, don't do that because the build up, you need it. You need the build up of the monsters first. So you're just like, oh my God, this is terrifying. And then when you realize that you probably are doing these things every single day, it's just, you need the buildup. Do not skip ahead. Right. Because, you know, the idea is to meet people where they're at, you know, in terms of their definition of the word cult, which has been so shaped by the media and documentaries, the super sensational coverage that tells us that cults by definition are these deadly mind controlled compounds in the woods where people like drink Kool-Aid and worship a manic eyed preacher. But that 
is not the hard and fast definition for the word cult. In fact, there is no hard and fast definition for the word cult. That's the first thing I discovered in my research for this book. Um, so I start there, but then as you inch toward groups like MLMs and even more quote unquote harmless groups, you realize that these same methods of conversion and conditioning and coercion apply even to groups that you might think of as like, oh no, that's not a full-blown cult, but at the very least it is cultish and it uses these cultish language techniques that leaders as evil as Jim Jones also used. Yeah. And I loved the history lesson of cults. I love, I learned more about Jonestown than I, than I even knew. Like you went so deep into Jonestown and the survivors of Jonestown and like how there were survivors of Jonestown. Like that woman that went to the town to like meet the, the politician who just didn't happen to be there that day. And the man that like hid underneath a building and just like, just hid absolutely wild these people did not have a choice even the ones that didn't want to drink the flavor aid were shot in the head if they didn't drink it so it was like either die this painful death with all of us and just drink or we'll just shoot you in the head so yeah just wild there's such mythology and misconceptions surrounding surrounding groups like that in large part because of the media coverage you know after the jonestown tragedy the second those people were labeled brainwashed cult followers it allowed everyone else to distance themselves from the tragedy to dehumanize those people and that left out all the nuance and it left out every opportunity for empathy so this is what i'm trying to do more than anything else with my work is to generate empathy for folks who've been involved with these groups because knowledge is power but knowledge is also the ability to have compassion once you know the ins and outs of the techniques of manipulation that go into getting involved and staying involved with a cult or a cultish group for years and years you realize that you don't have to be desperate disturbed intellectually deficient to crave the promises that these groups are putting on the table so um, yeah, I mean, that that mythology surrounds all of these groups from Jonestown and Heaven's Gate to MLMs. Yeah, it's just literally, I tell everybody when they go, how do you, how do you join a cult? Like, I'm smarter than that. I tell everybody, there's one thing you need to be susceptible to joining a cult and it's vulnerability. That's it. Which who among us is not vulnerable in some capacity? I mean, I make this analogy in my book, but a toxic one-on-one -on -one relationship is really just a cult of one. And who among us cannot think of someone, if not our own selves, who's been like perfectly bright, independent, a smart person, who's gotten themselves involved in an abusive one-on-one -on -one romantic relationship, a relationship with a boss, even a friendship, and found it really, really hard to leave. You know, it, th those techniques of manipulation are really, really similar. So you exactly like you're saying, you, no one, no one joins this like wacky group that is promising this outlandish thing. You join a group that is, you know, very strategically offering solutions to the world's most urgent problems, your most urgent problems, and especially a community like multi-level marketing. They've had a lot of time, decades and decades and decades to come up with the techniques that really like secure people that get people interested 
you do not have to be an idiot to get involved with one of these groups. Exactly. You have to be vulnerable in some capacity. Who among us is not vulnerable emotionally, financially in some way? And I also found that a fatal flaw is optimism, is idealism. It's the idea that like you, you actually believe that there is hope for the future, that you can come out of your troubles. If you're a total cynic, you're not going to believe the promises of an MLM. You might die alone. If you, if you don't believe that like there is certain amount, a certain amount of magic in the world, whether that magic is hope or spiritual enlightenment or whatever it is, that you're, you're not going to lead a particularly fulfilling life. So in my view, it's about like striking this balance between open-mindedness, open-heartedness and conscientiousness. Because like, if you're too closed off to culty experiences, that robs you of potentially some amazing adventures in life. Sorry, I got real deep real fast, but no, anyway. <laughs> for sure. Like I completely agree with you. And like, even like Robert says in Lula Rich, you don't join these groups, you're lured in. They're promising you so many things like, oh, don't you want financial freedom? Don't you want more time with your family, your boyfriend, your husband, your kids, your friends? whatever, you know, like, yeah, you know, like, of course I want more time. Time is the only non-renewable commodity. So it's like, of course you want more of that. Of course. That sounds amazing. That's what I've been, I've been saying every day for the past two years, all I need is more time. And so when someone offers you that, it's like, yes. In retrospect, it's so easy to be like, well, of course that sounded like a scam. Of course that sounded too good to be true. But you know, like non-working wives and mothers have been the target of the direct sales industry for at this point, 80 years, because the MLM industry knows that those women are vulnerable in a profound capacity. You're like with your kids, you're not getting the same sort of like sense of independence that people who are working outside the home get. But at the same time, there's like so much pressure to be this perfect wife, this perfect mother. And here's a community of people not only promising you like a little extra money on the side, but promising you that you're actually going to become a better wife and a better mother by being involved with this community. You're going to be actually a better American. You're going to be um, more spiritually enlightened in a way. Your life is going to improve overall. Now, if you're someone who you know, is vulnerable because you're at home with your kids all day long. You're under this incredible pressure that society sets to be this perfect woman. Like that's going to sound amazing, especially when the promise is coming, not from like some stranger or bot on the internet, but from someone, you know, and trust, like it does not take an idiot to sign up for something like that. Absolutely. And if you think back to any time you ever joined an MLM, think about who it was that approached you. It's probably a family member or a friend or a neighbor or the teacher at the school or something where you're like, yes, Mrs. Johnson would never get me involved in a scam. She's the sweetest. So, (laughs) you know, like it's not Mrs. Johnson though. It's the dude at the top of the pyramid, the CEO, the male CEO of these women, quote unquote, empowerment companies. That's the master puppet master figurehead of all of this, not Mrs. Johnson. Exactly. Now, this is not to say that just anyone could trip and fall into an MLM or another kind of cultish group. 
there are certain red flags that you can look for. And in my book and, and genuinely in my life, I argue that the, the biggest red flags are in the language, in the way that people speak, in the way that people frame this opportunity, and then in the way that they communicate to you and the way that they condition you to communicate when you're already in the group. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So I talk about red flags that you can see and read, see, you know, things that you would see in a Facebook post or the way that somebody is going to um, frame thing or a photo they're going to use. I, I like to share a lot of that kind of stuff. Also go to the website, look at their income disclosure statement, look at, you know, the, the, the different things that they provide to give you clues to do the math, to figure it out. But as I was reading your book, and I, I mentioned to the, this to you earlier, there are other senses that we can use when looking for red flags. And it's not just our eyes. And in linguistics, because it's words, it's our ears. Yes. And so that was the thing I'm like reading your book. And I was like, oh my God, of course we use our ears to look for these red flags too. So let's talk about the different red flags and how they're said and sort of like the build up so that people can also listen for those red flags too. Sure. Well, as a word nerd like you, language has always been the lens through which I see and hear the world. Um, so red flags and positive things always, always come to me, always make themselves known to me via language before anything else. Um, and I can, I mean, personally, I can clock a boss babe MLMer before I know what they're selling, before I know what the company is, because there's this very distinct dialect that everybody involved is conditioned to use. Now, in 2021, this era, the, the dialect is very much based on this sort of Pinterest feminism, this commodified feminism talk of girl boss and boss babe and being part of a movement, millennial women um, and millennials in general, but I think especially millennial women need the company that they work for and the products that they buy and the brands that they support to not only sell products and services, but also to have what are called organizational ideologies or these sort of ethical, moral identity benefits attached. So let's say when I buy a beach towel, I want that beach towel to be made of, this is a total hypothetical, by the way. I don't even really, I'm not very beachy anyway. But if I buy a beach towel, I don't want it simply to be a beach towel. I want it to be made of like recycled fishnets because then that beach towel is gonna tell me that I am eco-conscious, ethically sound, sexy because I go to the beach, friend, a friend to animals, like all of these things are going to come loaded into this beach towel. And that is the, the type of value that MLMs take to an extreme. So you can hear that in the language, which uses this very distinct dialect of pseudo-feminism that marries like capitalism with distinct form of entrepreneurship just for girls. But actually ever since the dawn of the modern direct sales industry in like the 30s, 40s and 50s, um, these companies have always riffed on whatever pseudo-feminist buzzwords were trendy at the time. So 
in the 50s, while Tupperware was promised to be the best thing that happened to women since they got the vote, now LuLaRoe is promised to be this boss babe opportunity to be the CEO we really are without ever having to leave your kids. A lot of MLMs also will exploit millennial women's interest in like natural, organic, holistic skincare, becoming part of not just like a social movement, but a spiritual movement. And this is all kind of this like grandiose highfalutin language that when paired with lots of exclamation points and hashtags, something just seems a little off. It seems, it seems a little uncanny because it's not how people like genuinely communicate on their own volition. Um, but what this language does is initially love bomb recruits. So some of your listeners probably are familiar with love bombing or when you shower your potential followers with love and attention, this idea that they can be special, that they can be anything they want to be, that they could be a millionaire within a year. Then though, this language becomes loaded with the American dream itself, with your very life's purpose and can be traded later as a threat. So it's like, when you, you know, have been involved with this group for six months or so and things aren't working out, it's like, well, maybe you, maybe you're not really a boss babe after all. So it's like this juxtaposition of these enormous promises of this incredible life that you can lead with these really menacing threats that if you fail in this organization, which is guaranteed to work if you only try hard enough, that's not the system's fault. It's your fault. And that's a form of gaslighting when you are on a campaign to cause someone else to believe that this predatory system, which is designed to fail the majority of people, is actually their fault and a result of them not working hard enough, not being enough of a boss babe, etc. That's gaslighting. That's causing someone to mistrust their very valid thoughts and experiences. Um, so those are just a few things that I tend to see, um, but there are other cultish language techniques at play here. Thought terminating cliches, euphemisms, we can get all into that. <laughs> oh yeah, and we definitely are because I, I collected a couple screenshots, but this one that I'm going to read right now sort of goes with what you just said. And then the other thing that I wanted to say really quick, uh, when you mentioned love bombing, there is another term that Stephen Hassan told me that uh, is a new term. With, uh, I don't, it's new to me. It's probably not okay. new at all. But he said, um, especially like in the MLM, right, where they're love bombing you, but you're getting it from all around. Mm. That is called swarming. And I was like, oh. I love that because that's yes. exactly what MLM love bombing is. You're getting it from every angle. You're getting it from above. You're getting it from below. You're getting laterally. You are literally being swarmed. Especially on social media. Especially, Especially on, social, on media. social media. Literally every account you check there will be someone in your DMs with that highfalutin, with the hashtags and the exclamation points. It really is a swarm. And that's why the marriage multi-level marketing and social media is such a dangerous combination because now you're not just limited to these at-home parties like back in the good old days. You can literally log on to a completely different reality. Absolutely. So this screenshot that I have right here is a woman who is recommending a product. Now, usually when a normal person recommends a product, they're like, Hey, I got this really great coffee. And it was like three bucks and it's super good. And you should definitely check it out. It's yummy. 
if you like coffee. If you don't, you know, never mind. Don't just scroll on. Like that's a normal recommendation you might see on Facebook. But this is a boss babe one. And I want you guys to listen and then and then we'll break it up. I'm only going to read a little bit because it's very long. Here we go. You all should know a couple of things about me by now. One, I only share things I love, recommend, and are healthy. And two, I am an open book and share my honest personal experiences with the things I highly recommend. That's just the first paragraph. She hasn't even talked about the product yet. And she's letting you know that she's trustworthy. You guys already know that by now. And you should definitely listen to what she has to recommend. Okay. I just have to say really quick, this reminds me so much. Well, first of all, it's so much. It's so much out of the gate. This reminds me of, um, I dated this nightmare of a person once whose Twitter bio said one thing and it said non-asshole. And I'm like, someone who is truly not an asshole would never even think to put non-asshole in their profile and somebody who was telling the truth and actually an open book would never need to preface by saying those things. Huge red flag. Also absolutist language, absolutist language, using language like all and everyone and always. These are red flags as well because nothing in life is absolutist. Yes. Um, And to, to piggyback on your not an asshole comment, I dated this guy when I lived in LA and he had a friend who would always be like, oh yeah, y'all should come over to my house and hang out and I'll get the pizzas. I'll pay for it because I'm such a nice guy. And he would (laughs) constantly tell us what a nice guy he was. And I'd always be like, do nice guys usually have to remind us all how nice they are? (laughs) That's the same sort of thing. Same thing. (laughs) Yeah. So like for me, like this is just so loaded, right? Like you guys can trust me. And then she goes off on this tangent about how her son had an allergy attack and he woke up sweaty and drenched and all this stuff. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And then she says, I refuse to give him Pedialyte, Gatorade, or any other, in quotes, electrolyte drink that you find at the store. They can make the health concern worse while being full of too much sugar, artificial ingredients, and dyes with no citation at all. She's just making these claims, but y'all, you should trust her because you already know her by now and she is so good at this. The anecdotal evidence and pulling on people's heartstrings by talking about something that happened to your kid, also a major red flag. It's, it's, it's just wild. So these are the sort of things, if you guys are, are seeing these, um, run, <laughs> run. <laughs> then she goes off on like all of the much better health conscience ingredients of this drink that she's selling. It's just, it's just the like high school essay of it all. Like here's my opening paragraph. Here is my second paragraph. It's very uncanny. It's not the way that people genuinely talk. Um, It does a little bit remind me, I mean, okay, so my best friend works for a cancer nonprofit, which is like genuinely trying to do good in the world by funding cancer research, but they have to recruit volunteers. And some of the language that they use starts to sound really MLM-y. And people who like volunteer and have been volunteering for them for a long time, 
like me and then my friend of course who works for them we have to be like yo this is starting to sound pyramid schemey because there is like a switch that's all of a sudden flipped and you're like this has crossed the line into scammy sounding language and it's hard to put your finger on but it really is like language that doesn't quite abide by the unspoken rules of natural authentic conversation starting by you know for anyone who watches succession in uh season three episode one cousin greg is like fielding paparazzi and he's like no comment no comment no comment and the and the press rep is like you can you don't have to say no comment you can just not comment and it's like you that's like a very natural rule that we all know as conversationalists but when you're involved with something shady, those rules go out the window and all of a sudden you're saying things that are like just implied in natural conversation when you're speaking genuinely, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. She ends her post with, I'm so happy that I decided to partner with a company that provides our family with all of the things our family needs to stay our healthiest. And then she has a picture of Pedialyte and Gatorade with a big no sign through them. Oh to just God. drive her point home. Classic, classic. It's just this overtly perky, sprightly, but also kind of threatening, menacing style of speech. <laughs> it's so menacing and it makes me feel bad, right? If I didn't know what this was, I would be reading this, especially as a vulnerable, maybe as a, a vulnerable stay-at-home mom who's just scrolling Facebook during nap time and I see that post and all of a sudden it's hitting, those buzzwords are hitting on everything that I'm feeling in my vulnerability. Totally. I want to have a healthy family. I want my kid to be healthy. I don't want my kid. Oh my God. How do I get this? Like, oh, Gatorade's bad. Pedialyte's bad. But my doctor told me Pedialyte is what, oh my God, how do I get this? And now you're fear mongering, right? And now these people are, are doing this and coming to you out of fear, which is even more powerful than vulnerability alone. For sure. And this juxtaposition that I was mentioning of these super lofty promises and exclamation points and hashtags with these threats is something that you will consistently find throughout your MLM experience. Because at a point, let's say you do decide to strike up with this person and sell whatever and recruit and do the whole damn thing. You will find at all of your team meetings and conferences and in your group texts and Facebook groups and whatever, there will consistently be this toxic positivity rhetoric. You're not allowed to breathe a word of negativity about the company, about anything in, that has to do with the way things work here with these like really spooky ideas of like, if you do breathe a word, you'll be kicked out. You'll have to answer to so-and-so. And I think more than anything else, language that positions these two emotional extremes is how you know you're signing up for something cultish because there's no room for nuance. There's no room for scrutiny. No, and that brings up another good point, right? So like all of these MLMs, all of these little companies, I call them baby cults underneath the big MLM cult umbrella. There's over 350 of them. You guys are going to come across them all the time. You are going to go, I had no idea that was an MLM. It, it's wild. Um, and these are like right here, this is a screenshot of a leader who is talking about why her MLM and the leadership in her MLM is so much better than other MLMs. 
Are you ready for this? <laughs> I believe I might be ready. <laughs> uh, so she starts off saying, never have I heard so much in a weekend as I've heard these last three days. It's amazing how accessible these top leaders are. In my prior company, people just seem too good to talk to the people below them in the income earnings. That's how she starts off this post. Well, so already she's saying like, this is how other people perceive MLMs and the leaders are inaccessible, but in our company, we're right there and we do this together. Yeah, I mean, already what I'm hearing, and this is a red flag across the cultish spectrum, are these intense us versus them dichotomies. And this is what you find in the MLM industry across the board, is that being involved with this company makes you superior to everyone else, ethically, emotionally, intellectually. You know, when you work at a company that has healthy boundaries, whatever, you're not going to feel like truly and in your bones superior to everyone else on the outside. But you know you're working for a cultish corporation when you've been made to feel special, chosen for literally just showing up, for just being involved. And, and oftentimes this will come with labels. So, you know, in Amway, which is the world's biggest MLM, everyone who works for a boss rather than an upline who works in regular corporate America is said with disdain to have a jack of a boss, a J-O-B. So they will come with these, again, it's this juxtaposition of really euphemistic, grandiose labels for everyone on the inside. And that's why there's a different fancy label for every tier of seller. You know, sometimes it's retailer, ambassador, mentor, whatever. In other groups, it's like, coach, health director, in, in Amway, every level is named after a precious jewel, a diamond, like at the top, you have a diamond or a triple diamond. So you get these terms on the inside that make you feel really special, that make you feel like you've something to aspire to, you're sending this ladder of precious jewels or health coaches or whatever. And everyone on out on the outside, they're truly brainwashed. They work for a J-O-B, um, and the, this us versus them, like thought pattern shows up in, in so much language. So anyway, continue. Yeah. It's, it's so wild. She's, she goes on to say, I guess I could say I'm not shocked and there's all kinds of emojis in this as well. Mm -hmm. I hear that from a lot of people who leave a business opportunity that they worked years at with no interaction. So right there, she's already putting, you know, like, well, it's probably your fault because you were in the wrong business and yep. This is a little different. Uh, and then she says, or had personal conversations with the top leader. Yet those leaders have reached their goals because of those people and that team. Here, it's so different from day one. It's not about how much you've made, but who you are as a person. One that deserves to be valued and appreciated. That's the thing. We change lives as a team and we make money as a team. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. 
They send you regular personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. I'm hearing a lot of conformity. You're just a cog in a wheel. You're, you know, you, you, you lose your identity on some level when you join up with one of these groups. And at first that feels kind of good because we as human beings are communal by nature. We generate our own chemical high when we engage in group rituals, practices, et cetera. And so at first that's going to feel really good, but then over time, you're going to feel stripped of your individualism, your identity, your ability to question. Um, So it's very strategic and clever the way that they use language to out of the gate, get you to surrender to the group, the family, the movement, however it's labeled. It's wild. It's, it's, it's all in there, right? Like it's, it's all a in there. perfect package of manipulation. It's all mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Another thing. So I mentioned before the idea of the thought terminating cliche. Sure. Um, yeah. We were just talking about those the other day on TikTok. See, it's, it's the sort of thing where once you understand what it is, you won't be able to unhear it and you'll be applying it to like every corner of your life. So a thought terminating cliche, it's something that cultish leaders across the spectrum need. Um, it's this term that was coined in the early 60s by a psychologist named Robert J. Lifton, and it describes a sort of stock expression that's easily memorized, easily repeated, and aimed at shutting down independent thinking or questioning. So 
Questioning is, of course, the enemy to any cultish group. And whenever anyone expresses any kind of dissent or asks a question like, why is this done this way? You're going to need one of these stock expressions, these semantic stop signs, as they're sometimes called, to silence that person, to put their cognitive dissonance to bed. You know, cognitive dissonance, that uncomfortable feeling when we're holding two conflicting ideas in our mind at once, like, I so badly like want to believe my upline, but I feel like they might be lying to me. A thought terminating cliche will stop that cognitive dissonance in its tracks. And that's why they're so compelling. So thought terminating cliches come in so many different forms in like a Nexium context. It might sound something like dismissing a person's valid anxiety or doubt as a limiting belief or saying, well, don't let yourself be ruled by fear. Um, in MLMs, I've heard thought terminating cliches sound like, well, this can't be a pyramid scheme. Pyramid schemes are illegal. As if right. just because something is illegal, you can't be involved with it even unknowingly. <laughs> um, or like, this isn't a, a pyramid scheme. Corporate jobs are the real pyramid scheme. And for a second, you're like, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> Yeah, it gives you just enough like information and just enough, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like confirmation mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, you're right. Okay, you're right. It is a pyramid. If, if it was a pyramid scheme, if those are illegal. They would have shut it down by now. You're absolutely right. Moving on. Totally. And it's interesting you said confirmation because what these thought terminating cliches also do is trigger your own confirmation bias. Like, no one can brainwash any anyone else to believe something they're on no level open to. Absolutely. But can, right? But you can encourage someone to believe just slightly more and more and more extreme versions of what they already want to believe. So if you don't want to believe that this group that you've been involved with for two years or whatever is all a sham and that you were hoodwinked and all this stuff, which like who would want to believe that? That thought terminating cliche will trigger your own confirmation bias so that you tell yourself, oh no, like this is okay. Like I was, I was seeing it wrong or I don't need to ignore that piece of evidence that controverts what I already believe or want to believe. Yeah. And here's the thing. You and I are so on the same page because I wrote down a quote from your book that I loved and it goes right into what you just said. Amazing. You say language doesn't work to manipulate people into believing things they don't want to believe. Instead, it gives them license to believe ideas that they are already open to. Mm -hmm. And again, this is why social media is so tricky in terms of cultishness, because this is what algorithms do. Like they send us down rabbit holes, encouraging us to believe these more extreme versions of what we're already open to. And when you combine that algorithmic like thinking with MLM rhetoric, that's a deadly combo. Yeah. I talk about suspending disbelief, right? And and you mentioned that in the book too, where if you are able to just suspend disbelief for just a second, yep. just a second, The next time I ask you to suspend disbelief for just a minute, you're more open to doing it because you've already done it for a little bit. And then maybe the next time I have you suspend disbelief for maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, the rest of your life. Yep. Yep. This is conditioning, right? Like 
brainwashing is the explanation that prevailing wisdom and the popular media tend to give for why people wind up in groups like LuLaRoe. But brainwashing is nothing but a metaphor. It's not a real or testable phenomenon. You can't prove that brainwashing doesn't exist. So it like doesn't meet the criteria of the scientific method. Like it's not a real thing. What is real are these, mes are these methods that we've been discussing this whole time and that you just brought up of conversion and conditioning and coercion. And when we talk about manipulation in that context, all of a sudden we realize that like these are human beings with like complex backgrounds and souls and emotions. Well, if you believe in souls, I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, that we're talking about. We're not just talking about like brainwashed minions. And when you use terminology like that, it allows you to dehumanize those people when really they are human beings that were strategically converted, conditioned and coerced. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't understand. It's not an overnight thing. You don't like walk into the Scientology building and then the next day you join the Sea Org. Like it takes a long time. You walk past that Scientology building a lot. You walk past the people on the street trying to get your personality test a lot before you go, hmm, I wonder. Um, that was another thing in your book that I absolutely loved because uh, as a hairstylist in Los Angeles, I heard a lot of those stories from the people sitting in my chairs being like, oh yeah, I went to one of those personality tests or I went oh and God. sat and watched that movie. And I'm like, what? You went in there? Why? And they go, I still get messages and letters and phone calls randomly from it. And this was 15 years ago. Um, so yeah, but it's like, oh my gosh, everyone in overnight. LA, no, correct. Well, uh, yeah, everyone in LA has like a story of their brush with Scientology. Um, it's just like a requirement of living here, but yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the sources that I spoke to who were in Scientology for decades got roped in because someone that they knew pitched them an artist workshop or like a little seminar about how to communicate better. That's why these organizations have levels and hierarchies. They don't start you out with the wackiest ideas, you know, of like fate, body thetans and, you know, galactic, whatever the fuck. They start you out with this very simple idea that everyone could get on board with. You want to make a little extra cash on the side. You want to meet other artists. Like you, if they started out with their craziest stuff, nobody would ever join. Right. And so I know that this word is sort of, you know, not the right word to use, but let's talk about grooming and, and what that is and maybe better words to use aside from grooming. Cause I feel like so many people use that word that it mm -hmm. sort of loses its power the same way that cult loses its power. So it's like, Oh, that's a cult. Blah, blah, blah. But like, let's talk about this. Like what, what does know, grooming sound like? The grooming, that that's the conditioning. That's when you repeatedly get someone to respond a certain way to a certain stimulus. So when you use thought terminating cliches to silence people systematically, when you use special terminology and buzzwords to put people in a certain rhetorical headspace. So one of my favorite examples to bring up of this is, is from Heaven's Gate. So that was the like UFO doomsday suicide cult from the late nineties that some people might be familiar Oh my with. God. Like it happened here in San Diego, probably like uh -huh. 40 minutes from my house. Whoa. And I remember it. Uh, I've driven past the house cause I'm 
sick in the head and like creepy things. And I remember I was like 97 or something. I remember because we were learning about the Hale-Bopp comet in school. I was in high school and I remember learning about it and then learning about them. And that it's probably one of the first cult fascinations that I had at like me too. Me too. I want to val. I don't. I want to validate though that you're not sick and twisted. <laughs> we we drive by like houses where horrible things happen, and we watch cult documentary after cult documentary, not because we're sick and twisted. My theory is that it's because we're rubbernecking like we do at a car crash. We're on some level trying to scan if this cult experience, even if it happened 30 years ago, is a direct threat to us. Like we're trying to figure out like, is this dangerous to me? And then quickly we decide like, oh no, it's not because I'm better than them. I'm smarter than them. Right. Um, um, here's a random fun fact. Uh, okay. The other week when I was in LA and, and I called into your show, where we were coming from when I had to pull off the road in traffic. Oh my God. My daughter, my 10 year old daughter (laughs) really wanted to see where the Manson murders happened. (laughs) Of course. Well, I mean, I took her up Cielo drive in Beverly Hills to see, I mean, the house isn't there anymore, but like we went in that area. She's like, mom, tell me the story again. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like my little baby is like becoming cult obsessed too. Um, That's where we were when I was like, oh crap, I have to call Amanda. (laughs) We love a spooky child. I was a very spooky child. I mean, I grew up with a cult survivor in the family. That's probably an important little detail to throw in there. My dad, my dad spent his teenage years in a pretty notorious cult called Synanon um, against his will. He was forced to join there. Um, And I grew up on his stories. So that's like, that planted the seed of this whole thing. And that was another connection I had because the week before I read your book, I talked to Lauren Covey. That's in uh, Lula Rich. So we have a Lula Bitch episode coming up with Lauren. She was also in a Synanon type cult before Lula Roe. And I was like, what? And I'd never heard of it. And I started researching it. And then like three days later, it popped up in your book. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm on the right trail. Oh my God. Completely. Yeah. So she's actually going to come back again and we'll talk about Synanon in a date. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. I grew up on my- kidnapped in the middle of the night from one of those like- Yes. Okay. Okay. So- Yes, the Synanon um, was the basis for today's troubled teen industry, as it's called. So it was a fucked up place. It isn't as famous as, say, Jonestown or Heaven's Gate because it didn't end in a mass suicide. Most cults don't end in a mass suicide. Um, But it was a violent place. It was a fucked up place. Anyway, um, to go back to the Heaven's Gate conditioning, um, there was a very specific sci-fi inspired glossary that everyone in heaven's gate was was taught to use that put them in this religious headspace that allowed them to imagine themselves like on on the spacecraft floating towards the kingdom of heaven so in heaven's gate your kitchen was your neutral lab your laundry room was your fiber lab if you were in the mansion that they shared that was called incraft if you were outside in the real world, that was out of craft. Everybody was assigned a new name with all the same suffix. Um, 
the leaders of that group went by tea and dough. Um, there, there were so many sort of sci-fi because that was the, that was the basis of the belief system, UFOs and, and outer space. It was the nineties when digital technology and sci-fi was providing new versions of the answers to our oldest questions. Why are we here? What happens after we die, et cetera. So that's why the sci-fi stuff was resonating at that time. Now it sounds very dated, but you know, it feels really good to speak an exclusive code language. It makes you feel successful. It makes you feel smart. I mean, who doesn't remember learning Pig Latin on the playground as a kid and feeling like way cooler than all the kids who couldn't speak it? It totally. feels really good to be able to speak that, that, you know, to be able to put on that linguistic uniform, you know? And yeah. in, in a group like Heaven's Gate, but in all groups, because all cultish groups have their own exclusive terminology and buzzwords and the like, it conditions you to think, you know, like I, I am better than everyone else who doesn't know this language. I have the answers to these urgent problems that are plaguing humanity. Um, and that's very powerful because especially during times of crisis and the past 10 years when LuLaRoe emerged, there's been a lot of socio-political turbulence. That's when we crave answers and closure and community the most. And that's when people are the easiest to take advantage of because, you know, it's like the, the economic recession of 2008 had just happened. There's so much political divisiveness, wide ideological schisms, you know, social media is emerging and people can be so cruel there. There's just a lot going on that consistently in our culture leads to a spike in cultishness. And, and here's the other thing is like MLMs do that, right? It's not just these big cults, like MLMs have their own cultish language inside the cultish language of MLM. And, you know, like I remember being in LuLaRoe and everything was a Lula something. So it was like your Lula room. Oh, I want to see your Lula room, send pics of your Lula room. Or like, as people would join, if somebody joined underneath you, they were your Lula baby. Oh my God. So, this is so cringy, you guys. I can't believe I'm telling everybody this, but yes. Um, so you had a Lula baby and then you are, you are obviously their Lula mom or their Lula mama, but then people went so far as to say like my uplines, my upline would be like my Lula baby's Lula grandma. Like that's, they fully were like, oh my God, we're Lula sisters. You're kind of like my Lula aunt. Cause you're like my sponsors. It was obnoxious and I totally I totally used it I was like that's my Lula baby I've got four Lula babies in the queue like everything has its own everything has its own language and and as you listen to these episodes like we learn those languages so like people can go back and listen now and go oh my god after listening mm -hmm. to this episode um one that comes to mind uh is the episode with Megan Williams who is in Cinegents and everything was a Cine something it was a mm. Cine sister a Cine babe uh, you know, it, it's your, all of that. It reminds so, me of yeah. Pitch Perfect. It reminds oh me my of God, Pitch yeah, Perfect like, when Aka. they say like, Aka amazing. <laughs> or like, bring it on. Like I am the cheer tater. This is not yeah, yeah, a cheer, yeah. cheerocracy. It is a cheer tatorship well, and I am the cheer tater. <laughs> I would argue that college acapella and competitive cheerleading are both somewhere on the cultish spectrum. Well, um, I was a competitive cheerleader. So like if you join one cult, you just join another one. And it's, then another, it's so much easier to join another cult once you've already been in one. It's because true. Because it's so 
familiar and comfortable. And that's something that Lauren said. She yeah. said, when I joined LuLaRoe, it felt so comfortable, even though I saw the red flags, but I had remembered back to like the Synanon and it was comfortable. And I said, yes, there's a reason that children of narcissistic parents marry narcissistic people. A hundred percent. There is comfort in the chaos. Because it's what you know. It's what you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really fun to like pick up language like that. Even if it's like silly at first, eventually you kind of come to genuinely embrace it. I mean, from just watching the Lula Rich docuseries, I couldn't get past Lula Famous. Like everybody aspired to be hashtag Lula Famous. Yes. And that sounds like a silly term, but I'm sure that felt very profound to people. Oh my God. It felt amazing. I will tell Mm -hmm. you, I did a a webinar. I was, I got to be Lula famous for a sec. Um, and I was invited to do a Tuesday training webinar. They were every Tuesday. It was company wide and I got invited to be on it. And the, the zeal and the squeal that came out of my body when they were (laughs) like, do you like, do you think you could do it this Wednesday? I was like, like, moved heaven and earth. Like I called my mom and I was like, you're going to have to pick up my kid from school because I'm going to be Luma famous. My Uh sister came over and sat just off camera because she wanted to experience my Lula famousness firsthand. <laughs> like, I wish I was joking, but that actually happened. And then I had people reach out to me after and they're like, I saw you on the webinar and oh my God. And then that, even the dopamine was just like, it was so good. Mm-hmm. It was so good. I love the zeal and the squeal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna repeat that in my day-to-day life. The zeal and the squeal. Um, that's too good. Yeah, no, I completely believe it. I mean, sometimes I find myself like smiling and laughing while I'm talking about these really dark stories because just, I mean, humans are fucking hilarious, just like darkly hilarious. Like the shit that we do in order to create like meaning and purpose in our lives Yes, sometimes it's really like dark and fucked up, but there's also something funny about that. Like, and really, and beautiful about that too. Like we so, so badly crave these connections that we're willing to learn these silly ass words and wear these silly ass, tight ass little pants in order to find it. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. And I feel like I've even on the other side, I've sort of adopted this and brought that dark comedy into this podcast. You know, I think we laugh in every episode, even on the episodes that are horrific, we're still finding the dark comedy and, and laughing at ourselves and being like, I can't believe I did that. I can't, I did it too, girl. I did it too. And we can laugh and and find catharsis and, and uh, this collective pain becomes therapy and it's not, we're not alone anymore and we're not scared and we're not sitting there going like, I can't believe I'm so stupid. We're now going, oh my God, we're all stupid. This is hilarious. Yeah. And humor is such a valid coping mechanism. Um, I spoke to obviously dozens upon dozens of cult survivors for my book, people who, experience Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, Scientology, like really traumatic things. And they were hilarious. Like they were making jokes left and right. Um, And there's something maybe like politically incorrect about that or something, but like everybody is licensed to heal in their own way. And I know that like humor helps me heal from shit. 
And it, it only makes sense that it would help people who've been in MLMs heal because like a lot of it is like kind of silly when you look at it from the outside. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, I don't know, I, the catharsis. It really, I can't tell you how many emails I get from people that were like, Roberta, thank you for making this podcast. And thank you for making me realize I'm not the only idiot out there. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're in, you're in good company, babe. Like you are in such good company. We are all dumb as fuck. But, and like, and you say that, but it's, it's with a twinkle in your eye because you know, you're actually not dumb as fuck. You're not, but it's funny just to joke about it and it's healing. And, and yeah, I mean, like I, I find that it's important to bring humor to this subject matter, not only because it's cathartic, but also because it's like, there is enough pain in the world and we should be able to talk about heavy subjects without feeling like exhausted and down on humanity when we're done. You know, like I try, like, you know, we bring so much humor, humor to the sounds like a cult podcast. Yes, <laughs> I know. And somebody even was like, you guys are joking about Nexium. Isn't that like, like, you know, I thought that was serious. And I'm like, look, Sarah. many conversations with Sarah and we laugh. We laugh. She even mentioned that she was like, it was so nice talking to somebody else who has been in a multi-level marketing company and has experienced this because, oh my God, like just the dark comedy and the catharsis and, and the, the things that we both experienced that were like, oh my God, yes, they do that too. And laughing. And it's, it's true. If you cannot laugh, you will cry. And I'm sorry, but I have cried enough in my life. I prefer laughing. Snaps. Okay, so at the end, we have rapid fire questions, but um, you're not an MLMer, so I'm going to change everything to like Colt. That's Beautiful. Okay. Are you ready? Love it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one word that encompasses how you feel about cults. Oh, the one word answers are hard for me because I'm so loquacious. Um, I'm probably just going to go with a simple one and I'm going to say curious. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, a warning to somebody who is thinking about joining a cultish organization. What would you tell them to warn them to not do that? Well, I actually would not warn against doing anything because that often just makes stubborn people want to do it more. <laughs> um, and I would just say, keep outside influences around you because if you submit wholly to this group, you will lose yourself and you will become more vulnerable than you want to be. So keep outside influences around you who can gut check you and make sure that you maintain your sense of independent thinking. That's an excellent answer. We're just going to call that an anchor, like keep an anchor outside yep. of the organization to pull you back in. Like you know, like when you tie a rope around a rock before you jump through a portal, you want to be able to get back out if you can. So find an anchor that can oh my keep God. you in check. I fucking love space and wormholes. So I love that analogy. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, here we go. What is the worst cult that you feel, in your opinion, you came across? The worst one? Well, there's a sincere answer, which is like, of course, Jonestown's the worst because it it resulted in, in the most devastation. Um, but I would also say conspirituality 
or the that's a portmanteau of conspiracy theory and spirituality this emerging sort of like new age conspiracy theorist not quite QAnon wellness warrior situation that's happening right now wow yeah what's that word again conspirituality I love portmanteaus a conspirituality I love yes or conspiritualists I love that. I absolutely love that. And uh, yes, I see them every day. Mm-hmm. The hardest lesson you learned about cults in your research. That I am not above cultish influence. <laughs> I loved that part of your book. I am not smarter. I am not too good for it. It can, it can slay all of us in one way or another. <laughs> like a face full of tears. You're like, oh my God, did I just join a cult? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then one positive takeaway from all of your research on cults, what you've learned. Oh, well, I think I ended my book on a fairly high note. You know, I think that the book, researching the book taught me that human beings are dreamier and more communal than I knew. I was afraid that writing a whole book about cult language would leave me like very cynical and misanthropic, but instead it made me more compassionate toward people who crave cultish community, who crave supernatural beliefs, who get involved with MLMs, you know, like they're so easy to judge. They're so easy to spoof until you learn what really went into their experiences. And then it really does help you have more compassion and it helps you have more faith in, in humanity. Like we're just flawed, silly little humans trying to have a good time during this brief flicker that we're on this planet. And sometimes that time is spent irrationally, but that that's okay. As long as someone is not exploiting your dreaminess, you can engage in cultish behaviors and be okay. I love it. I love it. I loved this whole chat. You are so awesome. I love that we've become friends and I know. You know, you're like the coolest. You're the coolest. <laughs> you were, you were the, the finger guns on that. Oh. You're the coolest. <laughs> oh, I am a finger gun. I am I, like this. I choose this type of violence, a finger gun. Like, but I do. I love the finger gun. That's a good one. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, you guys definitely grab Amanda's book. I will throw a link in the show notes so that you guys can pick it up. It is fantastic. And it is a really quick read for however many pages it is. It, I, I'm telling you. It, thank you. I, fantastic. I, try, I try to make my books bingeable. Oh, and, and it's so everyone, bingeable. Thank you. And try people, you, you don't want to miss Roberta's episode of my podcast. Sounds like a cult where we discussed the cult of LuLaRoe and played a hilarious game. You you don't want to miss it. It sounds like a cult. You can listen wherever you get your pods. Yes. That's the other thing is you have a, a podcast. We're going to put that in the show notes too. Amazing. Sounds like a cult. I was on it um, and we play a very fucked up game. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Um, but you know, if you've, if you've listened to that episode, then you know me as my new name, which is Boss Blade, Boss Blade Blevins. Blevins. Uh, legally, oh. that is my name now. <laughs> <laughs> this will make sense to the listeners who don't know what we're talking about once you listen to the episode. <laughs> I, I swear the funny thing was when I posted that, there were so many people that were like, oh my God, my two worlds just collided. I'm like, yes, yes, it did. <laughs> I know because people who are really like morbidly interested in cults tend to find like all the people talking about them in various ways. 
the cult of the cult of cult analysis you know yes like we've created our own cult in in the the obsession of cult education and knowledge it's a whole new cult Mm -hmm. I'm here for it I'm totally here for it too Put me in a robe, whatever you need to do. Your hair is short enough. It could grow back pretty fast. My hair is yeah. too long to shave it right now. <laughs> I respect you. I'm not going to force you to do anything. And that's how you know this is a healthy cult. Right. You have complete free will in this cult. If you want to leave, we will talk shit about you when you leave though. So you oh. will have to know that that's going to happen. Obviously <laughs> that's just human nature. Come on. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and share with all of your anti-MLM friends as well. See you next time.